podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to Free Practice Fridays with Freya. Why was that the intro? Is that James by any chance? (laughs) Oh, hello. Yes. Uh, Howdy. Welcome. Y'all. You can refer to me as... Horsey McCorse for today's episode because really that's the only way I'm getting <laughs> a VIP paddock pass Thursday only. I believe that that one is already taken, uh, in fact. Uh, so, sorry, mate. <laughs> I mean, I'll the happily content, refer to you as an animal name any content, day. The content. <laughs> the Daniel Ricardo content. Not only is Horsey McCorse and he's arriving with his mate playing guitar next to him as he arrives, who's a, who's a brilliant performer in his own right only got 12,000 followers Incredible on Instagram musician. that's about to change yeah. um but yeah. uh the the little video that Daniel Ricardo leased uh a couple of days ago about Daniel's driving school I've never the subtext oh, of so the great. anti-McLaren stuff is <laughs> phenomenal I am 1000% here for it uh and that's it uh, the, Formula One is not gonna be the same without Daniel Ricardo and Austin put together that is just the hot no tip. and but it's just like the second he steps foot in America, I love it because we get so much content in that you've got the Beats by Dre stuff that's coming out. You've got the, you know, no breaks situation coming out. You've got people riding into, uh, you know, Grand Prix on horses. It's phenomenal. The second he sets foot in the US, things are good. And what's funny is that you go through the comment, the comments of some of those videos Um of, and we'll, we'll actually explain what's what happened in in a bit later. Um, but you go through some of the comments there, and it's just it's exactly that. How are we going to watch F one next year with no Daniel? The paddock is not going to be the same without you, mm. ja- Danny. Plus Austin just makes sense, you know. Like yeah. find someone who loves you, like Daniel Ricardo loves Texas. Like it's just this kind of overwhelming outpour of people who are going to miss him on the grid next year um, and potentially around the paddock as well. But we'll come to a few comments that he made um, in uh, kind of the the media pen today, um, which gives us a hint that he won't be too far away, um, even if we don't know exactly what that means. But we'll get to that a bit later on. We're going to mix things up a little bit today and start with um, our profile of the week. Now, I was going to leave this one till next week, um, but I was just really excited, to be honest, to profile this individual <laughs> and the role. But as we um, as we head towards Mexico, it felt like the right time to put the spotlight on this person. I feel like Austin gets enough attention and we have enough content being created about everything that's wonderful above about the US um, and and Austin and, and this Grand Prix. So we're just going to fast forward a couple of weeks and um, jump right into Mexico basically. So God, time machine profile. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm in the past going to the future already. So <laughs> I don't know, maybe I should work for Formula One because I've – Cracked the time-space continuum. Very good. Just a thought. Um, but, yeah, so the individual who we are profiling today, another person who I would just go and recommend that you listen to her say her own name because, like everything else, Australian, we will butcher it. Um, but Speak her name yourself. is Dahlia Carolina Ramos. Um, 
as Australians probably call it, Dahlia, <laughs> but that is absolutely <laughs> not how she pronounces it. It's Can I just say not to be confused her, with um, the say. brilliant cartoon Daria? And Daria. our generation 1,000% <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's, you've, there's no point explaining it. <laughs> it's very, very true. Um, no, not Daria, Dahlia. And um, like I said, go on YouTube and listen to her say her own name because it's beautiful, obviously, in her own language. But she is the head of Build and Test at Alpine um, and we'll get to what that means in a minute. But what is very interesting in researching um, everything about Dahlia and um, her role is that she actually talks in her various interviews um, very little about what her actual role is and she talks a lot more about the importance of leadership um, and her role within the team and kind of how she's got to where she is but, again, very much that um, the the importance of her role being about leadership and managing people as much as the technical side of things, um, which, again, we'll, I'll go into in a bit more detail but just an interesting I suppose, finding Mm. um, as much as this is not a research project, as much as just an activity (laughs) that we, that we do. (laughs) It's my findings from my research this week. Well, and maybe Um, we can set some homework for our listeners. If you want to submit uh, to Freya's free practice Friday philosophy, not with an F, but I'm trying to find phonetic rhyming, can't do it. Um, (laughs) Study, degree. A degree in Freya's Fridays, <laughs> F1 Fridays, uh, you can submit a 5,000-word essay to Freya at uh, hello at lakesidedrive.com.au, I guess. I don't know. But let's open it up there if people want to do it. Good luck to you. Please do. And I'm glad that you know the email address because Campy and I don't because we actually had that thought a couple of weeks ago and neither of us knew what the email was <laughs> to send people to. But, hey, we, we got through it. And the sad part is that I would enjoy every second of those 5,000 word essays way too much. So um, please, please do. I'd happily make the most funny as you can and I'll take a lot of joy out of that. Um, but but it's absolutely accurate. If there is someone who you would love to hear us go and do all the research um, about and understand their role in F1 and who they are and how they got there, then, then do let us know. We've already reached out to our patrons and that has been the source of a couple of the people who we've chosen so far. Um, and big shout out to you guys because you're absolute legends um, helping us mm. do what we do. Not very well, but, but hey, we keep going. Um, so well, like I said, yeah. I was really excited <laughs> I was really excited to um, to profile Dahlia because when you listen to her speak, when you read about her her mindset and everything else, she is just an absolute powerhouse of a woman. And again, we'll get to her role in a minute, but she's said, you know, in the operations group that I I run, there's kind of two separate areas. I have one of them. I want the other one, and she has <laughs> just got that clear determination always looking at what's next and not in any type of kind of selfish way as much as a what's the next thing that I'm going to achieve. Um, And that idea of nothing kind of being out of the realm of possibility is a big part of her personality by the sounds of things, certainly the way she describes how she was raised and how she thinks about her her career and and anything that, that she wants to achieve. So as we do, starting from the start. So she's from Mexico. Um, She's got a sister who is also an engineer. And she talks a bit about that because she 
explains that as a child there was not really any kind of gender awareness, so to speak, um, until she actually said, I want, I want to do engineering. And the way that she described that is by saying, you know, we got given cars and dolls and we got dressed in every colour and there was none of this idea of, no, that's not what girls play with or this is only for boys or girls wear pink or whatever it might be. She said it was just whatever you want to play with, whatever you find interesting and exciting, that that's that's what's ready for you as opposed to anything that should be or shouldn't be. Um, and so she explains that, you know, that's a big part of why both she and her sister both ended up in STEM roles because it just was never part of a question as to whether or not that was something that was or wasn't suitable for them. So she does talk about her parents a lot and that just being a critical part as to why she feels like she's kind of been able to forge a career um, in not just Formula One but in engineering generally speaking. So that's been really important to her, but she said she loved math, she loves physics, she loves problem solving, and naturally that led her into the realm of engineering, um, which is where she ultimately ended up. But just a quick story that she does share is that that's where she actually encountered that first question of kind of, you know, gender or femininity even. But it was interestingly and surprisingly having heard everything else she has to say um, from her mum who when she went off to university um, to study engineering um, said oh, maybe you would like to to dress a little bit more a little bit more feminine and she just didn't understand this whatsoever like why on earth would I do that and she said well you might want to differentiate yourself actually from from all of the guys and she said, you know, this doesn't make sense. I don't get it. And she said, I worked, walked into that first lecture theatre and I was the only girl in there. And she also realised that I kind of looked the same as them <laughs> because I, you know, just dressed in probably darker colours or whatever else. And she said, I was always a bit of a rebel. Um, and and then she said, okay, let's go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> and she, but as much as anything else, she said, it was actually a way to differentiate myself, um, which I thought was um, a pretty cool story. But mm. just sticking to... Um, yeah, I suppose that interest in that led her to engineering. Um, Dahlia explains in an interview with Holly Sennett from Females in Motorsport that she's always just loved to see how things work, you know, whether it's big machines or production plants or factories or whatever it is. That's always been a passion of hers to really want to understand how things work um, and work with innovative things as well. And she did say that as as a child, her dad had given her a little Formula One car, which she does still have, and that did kind of spark that interest of, oh, I like how things work. Maybe I could make cars work. Um, mm, so very cool. Interesting, yeah, cool and interesting because it's not the first time we hear that about parents perhaps just planting a seed when um, these women are a little um, and then coming back yeah. to that a bit a bit later in life. The other, um, we talk about our sources a little bit um, when it comes to where we get this information from and there was a great interview with um, the Female Tech Exec, um, which is a, another podcast, um, and that's where she explains a lot about that, that parenting side of things as well. And they really did say to her, you know, you can do anything, you can be anything, you're smart and you work hard. And from a mindset perspective, again, she says something in that that interview, which I really love here, where she says, I don't really think about whether something is going to take too long or be too hard. I just think, is it interesting? Is it exciting? Okay, I want to do it. And that's my decision made. And then maybe I go and learn about what it's going to take or how I get there and I learn that it's going to be difficult 
but it almost doesn't matter at that point because I've already made up my mind. And I just thought that was a cool kind of decision-making process in terms of how she bases her um, her next steps on what is interesting and exciting as opposed to what's difficult. So it's no surprise then that she went on to study mechatronics engineering um, in Mexico and, again, she'd already made up her mind that's what she wanted to do um, but it was very a new course, um, quite a new subject um, where she was studying and so very few places available but like I said, you know, she's already decided that that's something she wanted to do and, of course, went for it and made it happen. She has, she has explained that a lot of her studies, you know, she's been um, privileged to have um, scholarships and the like, all of them obviously kind of earned by demonstrated academic, academic performance, but that's been a big part of how she's been able to achieve what she has, which, again, we know there's lots of barriers to entry when it comes to Formula One, um, as well as other, you know, whether it's tech or software or fintech, whatever it might be, kind of high-profile businesses, they're very difficult to get into um, and for herbs. The, the scholarship programs were, were very important part of that. But obviously she made the most of them once she was there and I think that's what's most important with with programs and opportunities like that, so that once you're in you then absolutely make the most of them, which which Jalia did. But then having finished her, her bachelor's, she knew she wanted to see more of the world and she moved to the UK to pursue a master's degree in manufacturing, engineering and management. So as you can imagine, you're kind of coming at things from the engineering perspective, but then you start getting that manufacturing management side of things and that broadens the scope in terms of where you're able to then go and apply that skills, those skills. But more than that, um, she said that in studying in the UK, just being suddenly surrounded by people from all over the world, different cultures, things that didn't necessarily feel possible suddenly felt possible and she started going for some for some pretty big roles and her first was at Rolls-Royce. So she'd worked for Procter & Gamble before that in Mexico um, but prior to Alpine she was at Rolls-Royce. So got a lot of manufacturing experience there um, in particular within aerospace, um, aerospace industry and primarily working in that manufacturing engineering business unit, but got the opportunity to move around quite a lot. So she's in Glasgow, in Germany um, and the, in the UK, but at that time was really able to understand that um, being in factories was was what she enjoyed the most. So being in that those roles with Rolls-Royce obviously taught her a lot about herself and where she feels like she's got those strengths and also the environments that she enjoys as well. Again, I think it's really interesting as we talk about people who are working in Formula One, they didn't just land there in these top positions. They've been learning about themselves um, along the way through all of these different positions, figuring out what their strengths are, building on those. Um, do I love leadership? Do I love management? Is it all about testing and refining? Is it about pushing boundaries? Um, and for her, one of the things that she learned was that environment that she loved working in, which which was um, the the factory and and she does say that look my final role at Rolls Royce was as a, as a quality manager so I was managing the kind of overhaul facilities that they have around the world um, but really realised that being in the factory is where she what she enjoyed the most and. At this point, started looking at alternatives. So she'd been there for a while, had been in a couple of different roles and this is where she starts thinking back to that little car that her dad gave her and turned Mm. her eyes to motorsport. Um, It a pretty timely, again, these kind of stars aligning and there's a lot of those stories um, that come about when it comes to people who have found their way into Formula One. Um, Right at that point, Alpine was going through a restructure, um, which we'll all be familiar with not not that long ago, um, and making adjustments to the way they were working in particular, making adjustments to how things were working in the factory. And Dahlia says that 
when she read the job advertisement for the role that she is currently in, which as we mentioned earlier was head of build and test um, at Alpine, she said, I read the job advertisement and I felt like they were talking about me. They wanted someone who could drive and manage change. They wanted someone who could work with diverse groups um, and obviously people from all sorts of different cultures and different backgrounds and technical expertise, people who could motivate teams, bring new ideas to life and had the determination and kind of diversity of experience and the personality to go with it. And she said, I read this description and I, I thought that they were talking about me um, and obviously hmm. went for it and and was successful um, in getting in getting that role. It's interesting, isn't it, when, I mean, as you say, Alpine's restructure wasn't that far in the past, um, but it takes a little bit of time, doesn't it, to to re, sort of get everyone on the same page and reorganise an organisation in such a way that it's going to be able to fight for championships long term. Um, and now that now that Fernando Alonso is leaving Alpine, we can confirm that they'll probably win a championship in the next five years, as is the way that of, of his movements around <laughs> the paddock. But it's interesting that you know going from Rolls Royce in production and and quality control of what I imagine is, you know, significant parts and, and engines that go on awesome aeroplanes all over the world to doing the same thing here. But from a Formula One point of view, a motorsport point of view, it's interesting for me that she wanted to be in the factory. She knew that at Enstone is probably where she wanted to be or between Enstone and then uh, the factory in, in France as well uh, and travelling between those two and working with a group of people there too because it's not always about travelling. In fact, I imagine less people want to travel to 24 race uh, races a year now than probably the 17 or 18 race calendar that should be. So having that kind of intent and interest and then consistency with work. So I imagine turning up as a normal work day, nine to five, uh, or maybe slightly longer through through a normal working week, how that side of Formula One exists compared to what we see, of course, with the pit wall and even the strategy, like we talk about Ruth, for example, at Alfa Romeo for this, the strategy that she does and what her race weekend looks like. Uh, and so I think it's really interesting now that this is this is how they're doing it, and they're really in, investing, or Alpine are investing, and like Aston Martin are now investing in people and pinching really good people from other sectors that within engineering as as a whole to then come in and help bring new ideas as how they can do things better. And of course, aerospace is a uh, is very akin to a lot of the the, fa- the factors and the processes that will go into Formula One as a whole from a team's point of view. Oh, absolutely. And I think what's really, like you said, what's really interesting is that I think for a lot of people who watch Formula One, who are fans of Formula One, you know, the part that you see for obvious reasons is the track and we'll all be not familiar necessarily with all the roles that are involved, but they're the ones that you see um, or are more likely to see. And I think it's it's good to know about these. But, and like you said, with the 175 races that we have on the grid, on the calendar for next year, it's going to be less and less of an attractive um, prospect for mm. many people to have to be required at every race. And I, I, as I, I think I spoke about with this with Campy um, a couple of weeks ago, it'll be interesting to see if some of the teams do adjust their ways of working now that they've got those extra races on the calendar um, because it's such a hard toll on the individuals um, and, and their families and friends and everything else. Um, and just general balance, even if it's not those things, um, in order to attend every single one. So it'll be interesting to see if there's teams who do adjust their ways of working. But for Dahlia, she knew that she wanted to be in a factory and her experience had, had told her that. But like many roles in F1, um, it for her, it seems, every day is different. You know, I don't think I've researched a single role in F1. They've said, oh, yeah, no, every day is pretty predictable um, <laughs> and I know what's going to happen next. Um, every day, it seems, is different. But 
She explains that generally it starts in the morning um, with the kind of the team huddles, as you can imagine, but she makes sure to spend time with each of the areas that she manages, of which there are four. But naturally, she said, you know, there's going to be um, teams that have bigger problems to solve or have higher profile activities. So those are the ones who will ultimately take priority. But this is where I said she, you know, we'll talk about it, her, her role now, but so in her role as as head of build and test, basically she's responsible for that very last stage of the car before it goes to the racetrack. So they do the mechanical build. So think gearbox, hydraulics, mm. suspension, etc. Um, as well as mechanical testing of those different components. So that's partially you know, making sure that they work, but that's also partially FIA um, regulations that might need to be considered in that process, um, as well as doing the mechanical tests of all the subsystems, pre-fit, and then also the final build as well. So they coordinate on top of that all the parts in the factory that come back from a racetrack after each Grand Prix. So this is a team that watches a race and sits back really hoping that no one crashes. This team Mm. works very hard at Haas and at Williams. Um, (laughs) not not, Not only because... They are the ones that, you know, when a car is written off, that they are coordinating all the repairs. So when their ECU Mm. is blown to pieces and they have to send it off to McLaren Applied, they're coordinating that whole process. But then they've also got this nervousness going, oh, my gosh, was it it us? You know, we've ultimately we've built this car. Um, we've put it together, we've put the pieces together. So there is, you know, there is an element of that kind of anxiety when you see a car go off track or hearing about a mechanical issue that there was something that went wrong in one of their teams that they need to go and understand. Now, from, from certainly from what we see from their perspective, that doesn't seem to happen too often um, when it comes to having to deal with parts that are coming back um, in a hundred different pieces need to be put back together. Um, and she said, you know, when, when things are coming back in for a general service and whatever, that's okay. But, um, we, our, our biggest, as opposed to hoping that we win, so of course we hope that we win, but our, our biggest hope is that they don't crash <laughs> because their work changes quite dramatically if, if that mm-hmm. is the case. But she takes, um, her personal responsibility for the team very seriously. And this is, what I was mentioning earlier in terms of saying, when she talks about her role, she talks predominantly about her role as a manager and as a leader. Um, and she takes that personal responsibility very seriously and I would say quite um, weighs potentially quite heavily on her shoulders in a lot of ways, again, just listening to the way, the way she talks about it. Um, and she makes a very conscious effort, she explains, to understand the concerns of opinions for everybody who works on her team. So, you know, naturally there's going to be compromises and negotiations and you know, not everyone is going to get their way every time but everyone will get a voice. Um, and I'll quote Dahlia here by saying, I consider an important part of my job I make, to make sure that the team are always performing at their best and have all the tools to contribute to being a championship winning team. And that does explain her mindset a little bit in terms of saying, no, we will be a championship winning team and my team will be set up in such a way. That is absolutely where her mindset is, mm. which as we've discussed when it comes to other organisations um, that potentially being the difference between some of them is whether or not they see themselves um, as championship winning teams and that being a big factor as to how well they put themselves forward any on any given weekend. Well, if you go back and listen to uh, my chat with Michael Italiano 
Tommy and me. Great chat. Yep. The best performing podcast we've ever done. No surprises there. Uh, but he was saying that he was very shocked and Daniel was very shocked when they came from Red Bull into Renault back then at the attitude that just wasn't there when it comes to winning championships and actually changing your attitude um, about what you can control and what you can influence. Well, you can influence winning a championship by thinking like a championship winning team. You can't control it, of course. It's way outside of everyone's control, including the drivers. But it's an interesting interesting mindset. So to see this, to see her attitude like that under the Alpine banner, I just wonder um, whether or not that was something that DR and Italiano set on course for within you know momentum with the team. So when they're looking for people like this and writing the job advert as they probably did from an HR point of view, they're now thinking about championship winning mentality all the time. So it's great to see that um, throughout the entire team, right? And especially from her and she's pushing her team to think like that too. Definitely. And like you said, pushing her team to think like that and the way she describes her role with her team, again, there's just another quote here where they ask her, this is in a couple of different interviews I was reading through, you know, what do you, what do you enjoy about your role? And she says, I really enjoy working for my team. And to me, just that language is you know, just kind of jumps out in terms of what she may not recognise as being that servant leadership mm. style way of of seeing your role within a team um, and as a leader of that team. And she she her language is quite precise like that in several of her her interviews, whether written um, or or kind of you know podcast based or whatever it might be, is that idea of. I enjoy working for my team, and when I do this for my team, and as opposed to them doing anything for her, which um, I would say makes her, well, potentially, <laughs> you can never say until you work with somebody, but um, certainly suggests that she would potentially be you know, quite quite an effective team leader when it comes to to that dynamic. But like I said, she says the best thing about my job is it enables me to be at my best combining the two things which I love the most, which is working with an amazing product and working working with and for amazing people. Again, mm. it's that combination of collaboration and and servant leadership it's not um you know you you work for me and again she describes being a leader as being able to do things for other people you know when they are when people ask her about what does it a leader being a leader mean to you it's being able to do things for other people um so just an attitude which i find um probably differentiates her um just in terms of my experience with working with other leaders um it can be a, a very kind of differentiating factor when it comes to management and leadership positions. Yep, she sounds like a good boss. But when it comes to, she does, she does. Um, when it comes to advice that she has for other people and we talked a bit about her team and the attitudes that she's driving within that, at the time when she joined Alpine, there 850 people and 11% of those were female and in her team there were none. So she was the mm. first female to to join her team and she came in in that head of role. Now there's five women there, including herself, um, one of which they had hired before they hired her. So she said, I can't take all the credit. Um, and then she's hired another two, had hired another two, and then there's no, there was another one on the way at the at the point of time of interview. So, and but again, she refers to it in terms of saying it doesn't, so she said, I don't want to, don't want to say it doesn't matter that they're women. It's It matters I'm putting the best person in the job mm. and that these people do exist, but you do have to find them. And when the opportunities are there, you you have to go for them. And I'm going to jump ahead to something I was going to share a bit later. Um, but she talks about 
her career and when she was going for this role, she said somebody else, and this is in an interview with um, Lisa Costover from um, the female tech exec, she makes an interesting point here, which is that someone when she was applying for this role did contact her and say, you know, are you sure? Like do you think you'll be okay? And she said what they're actually, she has the the insight and awareness um, to recognise this, but she said when someone asks you that a lot of the time what they're actually questioning is your confidence, which shows you a gap in their self-confidence because they see it as really tough. So how could you do it? Mm. And in this interview they're talking about climbing mountains and the interviewer Lisa kind of says, you know, I have a lot of men talking to me saying, oh, you're really going to go climb that mountain? Because they see it as an impossible feat. So how could a woman possibly do it? And she said, I did have people say to me, do you think you'll be okay? But what they're actually showing is something that they perceive to be to be challenging. And she said, it's not that it's going to be easy, but you have to have that, that self-confidence that you can you can do this because other people will que- will question you. And she said, "Look, I've had more more opportunities, and I have challenges when it comes to being a, a woman working in in motorsport. But you you really have to understand." So I'm moving to her advice to other other people. She said, "You have to understand that you are capable of anything." And F1 is really trying to bring more females into the sport because they realise that we need greater diversity. That builds faster cars at the end of the day. It makes sense from a um, marketing perspective, if nothing else. Um, But we realise that we need to improve that. So there are big efforts being made by all the teams to get more girls into the workplace. But more important than any of that is to trust in yourself and go for it because nothing is impossible. And she returns back to that kind of, you know, those messages that were really instilled to her when she was young that why couldn't you do this? Um, She does reflect on, on mentorship. Almost as a bit of a um, not a, not an after point necessarily or an afterthought, but um, people who she didn't rec- realize were rec- were mentoring her at the time. Um, but now, upon reflection, she said they actually were were providing me a lot of guidance, some great advice, um, a sounding board when I wasn't sure of my next mood. So my next move. So in that kind of advice to other people, um, part of that is is mentorship and finding yourself some great mentors um, when it comes to, like I said sounding soundboard, getting advice, getting feedback, um, and helping to to navigate the path forward. People who have been there before potentially. But even if they haven't, people who might have carved paths in leadership or management or or whatever it might be, um, if that's if that's what it is that you're after. So she feels strongly about the helping the next generation um, and not just girls but also for her in particular as Latino women and she says that, you know, every time you go out there and do something, you never know who you're inspiring. So whenever she gets the chance to, to talk about her work, talk about engineering, talk about Formula One, she puts her hand up for every opportunity because um, through other sports as well, she's kind of said, I've heard that said a lot before, every time you go out there, you never know who you're going to inspire. So on that very indeed inspiring note, um, Dalia Ramos, you um, sound like someone who is going to achieve great things. And while she might be in kind of head of test and build it, um, build and test it at Alpine, something tells me that we're going to see her in, in even more, more senior roles and look forward to seeing what she get, where she gets to with her career. Yeah, when uh, they win a championship because Fernando Alonso is no longer with the team. So that's just default going to happen. And here's the hot tip. Esteban Ocon's not going to be the one who does it. Neither is Pierre Gasly. 
You need a new joke, by the way, but uh, something holding on to anything in particular. That is just a fact, but, um, my friend. That on, is no on, joke. <laughs> One that you referred to multiple times on the, already on this podcast. But um, thank you to Holly Sennett. Um, females in motorsport for um, your great interview with with Dahlia, um, female tech exec with Lisa Kostova and Formula Careers as well. Got some information off them. So um, a wonderful woman out there doing amazing things. But let's move on to news um, and we are very excited about obviously the Texas race and then Mexico will be ahead of that. But first of all, just have to pull Campy and Tommy up on something which is talking about Miami and when we put Miami into the calendar. Now, I understand Campy's point completely in terms of um, saying, you know, we should have the best races at the most important times of the year. Um, You know, maybe if the championship is going to be decided earlier because we have 675 races on the (laughs) calendar, then make the races that don't matter your Miami's um, and your Vegas's. So Campy said, let's, you know, wouldn't you just prefer that camp that Miami is right now? The thing is, you might have noticed that three weeks ago, a category four hurricane named Ian ripped through Florida. (laughs) And I was actually in Miami last weekend. Um, and a couple of our Uber drivers there were talking about the, how they were working for the, for the cleanup and, and driving people around to help them get things that they need for their car. That state is in a, in a complete rebuild situation. So this time of year with still 11 days to go of the hurricane season, I think it ends November 1 from memory. I should really know that because I'm also in the hurricane belt. Um, not a great idea. So, yeah, no. Might make it more interesting though. For a typhoon than if we... Well, it wouldn't because you just wouldn't race and then everyone's stuck in Miami and not much happens in Miami, to be honest. You go out on a boat and that's it, <laughs> but not in a hurricane. So. I do not disagree with you, but it, the same thing then has to go to why are we going to Japan at the same time that we do every year because this stuff is, oh, this is not the first completely. time this happens. It's just it's ridiculous. So I would rather inverse and say have the ridiculous timing with Miami and have the good timing with Japan <laughs> so we just have good racing. But there you go. Or just How delete Miami just from the Miami calendar altogether. Completely. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Go. <laughs> yeah, that's the answer. I agree. Um, so other news this week, to anybody who's hoping to go to free practice and watch an F1 driver, uh, good luck to you because there mm. are basically no F1 drivers at free practice this weekend. Um, so we've got Theo Bocher, who will be racing for, or doing free practice for Alfa Romeo, Logan Sargent for Williams, Alex Blow for McLaren, Robert Schwartzman for Ferrari, Antonio Giovinazzi for Haas, so that leaves only a kind of a handful left over. Um, come back to our original question we had a, a couple of weeks ago of the importance of free practice and you look at some of the names here and I, I, it's a good initiative to give people a chance to familiarise themselves with an F1 car in a pretty kind of low-stakes way, um, but it does feel like a bit it's a bit symbolic. Yeah. Well, and really it's supposed to be trying to get rookies into the car, uh, like young rookie Antonio Giovinazzi, for example, the baby Jesus getting yeah. into the car maybe. Baby Jesus. 
getting close to Christmas. You never know. Mm. Um, other news this week, track changes. So it won't look too different, um, but there has been some efforts to solve some of the problems that we know exist with this track. So turns two and ten of it had reinforced concrete and steel bar steel rebar have been installed to try and prevent those dips in the track from reoccurring. So they've kind of helped to fix them. Now they're trying to prevent them from occurring again in the future. We've had some resurfacing um, kind of throughout a lot of the turns, basically runoff areas at turn six and 20 have been modified because they've added new grandstands, 440,000 people expected um, over the course of this weekend. So obviously trying to make more space (laughs) for, for them. So squeezing in some new, some new grandstands and it was a runoff area that got sacrificed. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope the cars don't naturally or the drivers don't naturally remember that there is a runoff before forgetting that there is, in fact, a grandstand. Well, what was funny is that I think it was, uh, oh, my goodness, I can't remember who it was, one of the press conferences was saying, um, talking about one of the turns and then said, oh, yeah, but you've got a pretty long runoff afterwards. Um, so that kind of takes the stress out of it. And I was like, not anymore. So hopefully you don't need you don't need that. And then we've also removed all of the sausage curbs, or because we're in the US, we call them turtle curbs. Have all been removed. Obviously, good. that's a good thing. It's a safety thing as well as probably making for better racing at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a. Uh, I think the curbs kind of made sense with previous generations of Formula One cars, and of course, Formula One and MotoGP are not the only things that go around the circuit. Plenty of other American racing series as well. So uh, it's good to know that they have made that decision because, also with the way that these cars are working, any disruption in downforce when they're going over something will result in a spin, and then a car finding itself in a grandstand, not in runoff area, which we don't want. It's what we definitely don't want is cars in mm. grandstands and already Zhou Guan Yu has already found himself exceptionally close to that. So let's hope that we don't have <laughs> any, any you won't get any closer than yeah. he did. Yes, um, yes. There's not been a lot of uh, information around the cost cap um, kind of situation. It sounds as though Red Bull are kind of in discussions with the FIA over that. Because if they don't kind of resolve it at this level, it then goes to the cost cap adjudication panel. I'm pretty bored of talking about this, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah, I am too. But the same way, though, I think it's probably more interesting to me than really any any of the other previous news we've had to do with the FIA. Um, Because it's very important to to know how this organisation works now without Michael Massey as the race director and what reflecting on decisions has has is a thing. So I think press, uh, Red Bull is having a press conference today, which is uh, tomorrow for you, today for me, uh, today for uh, when this is released. So uh, we won't have that information, but it probably it's exists somewhere when you're listening to it. Uh, you'll be able to hear what, Re- what Christian Horner has to say about it. But look, as you say, if if Red Bull enter an agreement with the FIA to say, okay, we have overspent, um, then they just take whatever fine comes towards them. Uh, if they don't and they say, look, we're we're innocent effectively, then it goes to the next level. And we all know what uh, F1 teams are like when it comes to this sort of stuff. So uh, there are a good couple of journalists you should follow. Um, Adam Cooper on Twitter is pretty good if you uh, want to subject yourself to going onto Twitter. But otherwise he writes for motorsport.com and autosport. Uh, and racer.com, as we said. So, uh, but they're, they're sort of at the forefront and asking decent questions about this stuff, not the clickbaity question. Well, we're not the only ones talking about it. And like I said, I'm a bit bored of it, but that's partially because 
a lot of the times with these with these things, you know, we find out that someone's breached it, how much by okay, and then I'm just waiting to hear what happens a little bit. But we know we're not the only ones who are talking about even um Carlos Sainz in his um interview today was saying, look, I want clarity and of what's gonna happen and we've we've got to know what takes place and there's got to be respect for the budget cap because otherwise what's the point you know we mm. have made sacrifices um and he kind of refers to saying you know we've cut costs we've fired people you know you can employ several people for even if it's the you know close to a minimum amount of that 5%. You can employ a lot of people for that amount of money, um, yes. which others have had made, made the decision not to. So depending mm. on how that minor breach took place um, and where, and that, that's that's my, that's the thing which I wanted to know is where was it? You know, how yeah. was that additional spend categorised or where was it? Was it on real wings? Was it on chicken wings? I don't know. One final thing before we move on from this point is that uh, Toto Wolf said, well, if Red Bull can get away with it, there's only minimal fine, but it's less than what you're spending. 100% I'm spending above the cost cap to get results. That's just what's going to happen. So they have to like, and he's not kidding. This is Toto Wolf, people. He will do no. it. He will do it. Yeah. And we will see Lewis and George back he'll to the front. put on his black turtleneck and then he'll do it. Everybody has a target. So I- uh, interesting. He should have put that on in order to when he made that statement. Um, <laughs> but but it's completely true. Like if the fine is less than the overspend, what's the point? But Carlos has obviously seen the sacrifices that they've made in their, in their team um, in order to, mm. to make that work. So it is an important one to have transparency of. Um, sticking to money though, um, Haas has a new title sponsor, which I'm sure Gene is very happy about, um, which is MoneyGram. So... Sounds made up. We'll see if this one sticks around, hey? (laughs) Doesn't seem legit. Does not seem. I was expecting to open it and to be like Dodge Ram or, you know, some kind of big American (laughs) thing that would, you know, Will Arnett would be the voice of uh, doing whatever. Maybe he's Chevy. Anyway, I can't remember who it is. But anyway, but to get some kind of exciting big American brand, even KFC or something, MoneyGram, mate, there is so many peer-to-peer apps and bloody crypto and all of it isn't real, the sponsors on a lot of these Formula One cars. Um, Also, to a point where McLaren has now basically got LED boards on their cars for the sponsor to change halfway through. (laughs) They've got so many bloody sponsors, most of which you've never heard of, but again, probably because they're not a real thing. Uh, and they've started to, uh, this car, I don't know what Zach is doing. He's not designing a car to win world championships. He is quite literally designing a mobile billboard. Um, and I imagine it would be region dominated. So if you're in Victoria, maybe some state election posts will start coming up and you'll have some liberal and labor and greens <laughs> advertising going on based on your geographical location. So if you were, if you do have a NordVPN based on, uh, previous purchasing history, if you wanted to support the podcast in this way, it's not, they're no longer a sponsor. So I don't feel like you have to, but if you did, you can go go in quite literally and select Melbourne as your server and then all of the F1 would be would be displayed uh, for that. Imagine if they had their region set to London and it was politically based. to be like, oh, we've got to change it. Oh, no, we've got to change it again. Oh, no, we've got to change it again. <laughs> well, it makes sense there, wouldn't it? Bloody <laughs> hell, what a mess. We thought we were bad. Well, I'm happy... I'm happy for for Gene um, so that he can try and run this place as his, his team as an actual business rather than kind of his, mm. his personal hobby, but can't be guaranteed that this one's going to stick around. They don't have a great track record, some of it not their fault, let's be clear, um, when it Mm. comes to... 
their major sponsor or title sponsors, but uh, we'll see how MoneyGram goes. Just some other bits and pieces which um, I wanted to mention coming out of the press conferences and, and talking about the upcoming race. So let's talk about the drivers a little bit rather than news. Let's get our DR hats on. I had mine on in preparation for this. Yeah, I know. It's just the best. So for anyone who missed it, don't know how you could, but Daniel Ricciardo arrived on a horse, which is just standard Austin activity. Um, And and the horse had his own VIP paddock pass and what was his name, James? Horsey McCorse, and I reposted a photo of it on my um, Instagram. If you haven't seen it yet, go to my stories and have a look because it is next level fantastic. And whoever in the digital team for Formula One did that for him, very good. Very good content a lot. Well done. It's so great. Apparently the horse's actual name is Blue, but they didn't know that at the time. And let's be clear, that wouldn't be as <laughs> funny. But sticking to to Daniel Ricciardo, um, so he mentioned in his interview that he is they are putting in a plan to get me back to the front of the grid and win races. Not checking out and I'm not, do, I'm not just saying see you later. So... An interesting quote because at least they're talking about a plan for which they didn't really feel like there was one for a few minutes there. But I think it's very clear that he doesn't just want to take any seat that's available to him, which is why he hasn't been announced for Haas. Um, and instead he's looking at a, a longer-term goal of actually getting back to a position of winning races. Does that make you optimistic, James, or nervous? No, it does make me optimistic. And to be honest, and I've said this before, this is a um, a Rob James point from Box of Neutrals from months and months and months ago. He was talking about then before any of this nonsense was announced that he sh- that Daniel should take next year off anyway, leave McLaren a year early, depart and have a sabbatical and then come back and figure out some some options because for many, many reasons, and I, I actually think – now, the more I'm sort of more time that's gone on, the more I think about it. Going to Haas Williams is a good way of ending his career very, very early. Um, but waiting for an op- a better opportunity, I think, is is a good thing. He had one of the best interviews I think he's conducted in print media with the race. I don't often say this about this organization, but it was actually very, very good. Just Google uh, Daniel Ricciardo, the race interview, and it's, it's the first result that'll come up. Read it. Read, to, read the whole thing. It's very long form written content. It's very, very good. Daniel was very, very honest about it. Uh, and the thing is this, People like Christian Horner, who you spoke about a couple of weeks ago on a, on a previous episode, in his episode of Beyond the Grid with Tom Clarkson, said Daniel is a brilliant driver. McLaren haven't been able to unlock it. And for me, a lot of the people on the grid who are in decision-making uh, positions will know that it's the car, it's not the driver. I don't believe this nonsense about he's had four bad years since he left Red Bull the people who are saying that the oh, two years at Renault were up. bad <laughs> are idiots and they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. And this is these are legitimate journalists and legitimate drivers, allegedly, um, all the way through to other fan-based podcasts. You cannot tell me that a return to a podium for Renault that had a podiumless time for years and years and years and years of Daniel Ricciardo at the helm uh, and reorganising that, that whole car around him, once he got that car to work for him, he was challenging around the top five constantly. The top five with Mercedes mm-hmm. absolutely dominant. Sometimes he was above Valtteri Bottas. So 
Let's just remember that. And so I think for, for a lot of these people, as I said, and yes, I'm DR passionate, of course, I'm wearing this hat. I have too many of his hats. We could probably have a good parade of hats for the next couple of episodes and not wear the same I, hat twice. Maybe I'll just but do that. You keep talking for a second. <laughs> but it's a bit, to me, it's a bit ridiculous that we, we're sort of thinking, oh, well, he's washed and he's never going to come back again. This is the world of Formula One where we are talking about Nico Hulkenberg coming back to Haas. Nico Hulkenberg, who had a best result of fourth in a Sauber, uh, and I think it was Malaysia from memory, is being discussed as the best option for Haas 2023. So, and by all accounts, by the way, that as a side note, there is there are rumours that um, Hulk is going to be announced. Now that there is this MoneyGram title sponsor announced for 2023 and they've tidied that up, uh, maybe one-on-one will continue if there is another German driver and it's not necessarily Mick's uh, sponsor anymore. Uh, maybe they bring back K-Mag. So there are a lot of uh, good things to say about bringing K-Mag back, but in the same sentence, people are going, but Daniel Ricciardo's washed. So I think also in that respect, some time away for DR will be good. He can work on some stuff that he needs to work on. I really think he should start his own podcast. Uh, Daniel, I'm happy to produce that for you. Let me know. I'll do that for free. But I think <laughs> listening to him talk to other people, it'll be about a billion times better than the crap that Nico Rosberg puts out because it won't be about him. It'll be about other people. Imagine that um, when you're interviewing them. But nah. for, da- for Daniel, <laughs> there are plenty of opportunities in 2024. His management team are not shit. They're very, very clever. And mm. I think he would be already have ha- having conversations about his 2024 season before this was going on anyway. This is just what happens in Formula 1. You're halfway through the season. The contract is through to next year. He knows he doesn't want to stay with McLaren. He wouldn't have wanted to stay anyway, I don't think, um, noting everything that was going on and, and the attitudes of where, where Lando was, was going and he was clearly the faster driver and he's accepted that. So I don't think it would be too far-fetched to, to understand of what's going on. Who knows? He might end up in an Alfa Romeo Sauber or an Audi Sauber um, if Audi buy that team with a new investment in wind tunnels and everything else uh, because the team is, is a good project that he can see that's going to benefit him sooner rather than later, whereas Williams to him doesn't seem like that. So I am positive about it. And I think the, um, the wider fan base, the people who are very incorrect with their opinions um, and their five-second memories will probably move on from it, forget about it, and everyone will love the return of DR and we'll just see some happier times in 2024 and beyond. I certainly hope so. And it is a roller coaster, let's be honest. And the roller coaster is kind of climbing at the moment and it's going to just plateau at the top for a while and we'll see what he does Mm. next year. Like you said, it's not going to be on the grid by the sounds of things Um, and almost certainly not going to be on the grid. Um, So we're going to be sitting at this like constant plateau, the the peak of this roller coaster, waiting to see what direction we go in. It's either going to go rapidly downhill very, very quickly backwards or it's going to just continue to go up and up and up and like you said mm. I think the the problem that a lot of us have is the the short memories um and I mean that that's natural we do tend to focus you know the the negative performance the negative situations and poor performances stand out same with anything else more so than the the good ones um our brains are wired that way so we can't always blame people on that but there are people whose jobs are to you know, analyze all the information that they have available to them, provide an opinion, and they seem to be ignoring a lot of information that is not that far in the past. So it's I do think it's an optimistic um, kind of statement. It certainly gives hope to a lot of us who are very, very passionate about Daniel Ricciardo and his Formula One career. But let's keep moving on um, some other 
interesting things. I think just like I'm just so glad to have group press conferences back and with the reporters there, there was a bit of um, kind of hilarity with uh, Alex Albon and Hamilton. I'm not going to repeat it so or explain the joke because – I'm better than that, so go and blonde watch hair, that for yourself. Dying hair. Um, I'm not better than that. It's bloody fantastic. <laughs> um, but I love just having everybody back in the same room, being able to have moments like that again. Um, that's part of why I know it's not a part that they the drivers necessarily love in terms of sitting up there with their their microphones being asked questions. But as as fans, I think it's just great to see them actually enjoying that and kind of having fun with it. It's it's what we all love. But I have to say what they do also seem to be incredibly sick of is being asked the same question, which is please tell us how good Max Verstappen is. Like, uh, okay, he's won the championship. We all knew that was going to happen. It was going to happen three races ago. Now it's happened. Um, so I just stop asking everybody about how, how, how great Max Verstappen is and it's just really interesting because you can see them all um, you can see them all getting a bit a bit sick about answering that question. Just do a Daniel Ricardo going straight up to him, give him a cuddle and tell him how awesome he is and you don't need to ask him that question. But they do all love the track. I think they are excited, as excited to be there as as we are. Um, we also heard from Valtteri Bottas. They've got a new front wing which they tested in Suzuka, but obviously because of the nature of that race, they didn't really get to test it properly. So they'll see how that goes this weekend, hopefully properly, um, along with a new floor diffuser as well. So a few upgrades there. Um, Checo, I think he just wants some water this year. I'm sure he wouldn't say no to a podium as well, but nothing, no, no major changes there. I think just hopefully he gets the drink. Um, Leclerc <laughs> have Leclerc has kind of pleaded to Ferrari to get their sun, their Sundays right for next year in terms of answering that question of what's the difference between where you are now and where you need to be in order to win championships. And for him, he said, you know, it's just Sundays. Red Bull. So. Um, Oh, so yes, okay, yeah. we need to be able to execute. We need to be able to execute that. Um, Carlos has kind of said something similar, but he, like I said, is is quite interested in this cost cap situation and wanting to get clarity on that, um, and very much just focusing on trying to get another wind on, under his belt before the end of the season. But. That's pretty much it for this weekend, James. Um, no kind of major changes to driver lineups or anything like that. And so we will see what happens over the next little while. Like I said, good luck to anybody who's trying to watch a Formula One driver in free practice. Free practice Fridays will only feature Freya. <laughs> Love it. Well, and look, congratulations to everyone in Australia to uh, for being able to achieve peak Freya watching uh, Formula One, at least generally, and have some breakfast with your motorsport and a gigantic McLaren hat that doesn't seem to fit you very well. Well, it's just like that wasn't the last person who wore it. So, you know, hat hat sharing house over here. See, I will finally get to have a beer watching Formula One at an appropriate time to drink alcohol Mm. because it's late in the afternoon here. So no longer, there we go, no longer looking like an alcoholic watching F1 on a Sunday morning. So... (laughs) Where will you be watching? 
Oh, who bloody knows? Uh, I, there has been discussions around watching it together with all of the boys, but uh, we know it's bloody difficult enough to organise us all into the one place. It's the preset time each Monday into a studio, so I, I doubt it will probably be at home with a coffee and now that you mention it, probably with uh, some kind of delicious breakfast lager to go with my Formula One for the morning. Highly recommend, highly recommend. So on that note, thank you for joining me, James. Enjoy your Texas Grand Prix weekend. I'm looking forward to hearing what dribble you guys come up with on Monday. Yes, it'll be incoherent because we'll all be so excited and probably have been drinking since 6 o'clock in the morning. What could possibly go wrong? But thanks for having me. (laughs) See you next week. See ya. Oh, yeah, go on then. No, no, I won't. That's that's Neil's like, no, that's that's that's, How good's Neil? Neil. that's Neil's like, uh, should we put the kettle on? I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, go on, mate. And he's like, righto. Sports Social Podcast Network.